Hey everybody, I have a really important announcement. Before we jump into this episode, I need to explain that this episode was recorded before the bulletin that Visa released on October 18th relative to cash discounting and the Visa rules around cash discounting. So be aware, there may be a comment here or there that are a little bit out of place or uh, maybe not up to date with the most recent information. However, most of the information in this podcast, it turns out to be extremely important because we're talking about the visa settlement and a lot of issues that really lead right into what's happening right now with cash discounting. Now, also, I want to say, make sure that you tune in next week. Next week, we're going to be interviewing the CEO of Card X, and we've shifted the order of our episodes around just to have that conversation because we want to talk about this Visa Bulletin around cash discounting. If you want to get more information about it in the meantime, just visit ccsalespro.com, and I have a blog article posted there and a video um, and a few other things, so you can check that out and get more information there. Now, having said that, we have a lot of great information in this podcast episode, and so let's go ahead and jump right in and make sure you tune in next week as well. My name is James Shepard. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. This is the podcast for MLSs and ISOs that want to grow and build that profitable portfolio, right? Build it, build it. Awesome. Well, we had a great episode today. Uh, you do the Cash Discounting Insiders Report. That's a that's an amazing. It's come a long way so quickly. Really? Just in just in the what? What have we been doing these now? Two or three months? Uh, yeah, and so much has changed already. Already. Yeah. yeah, lots lots changed there. Then of course the visa settlements. And that huge that news has a lot of change coming. I think. Yeah, I really enjoyed our back and forth on that. Um, and then of course closing out with that question from Danny about the finances. Yes, that's a very insightful uh, important uh, topic for yeah. agents. I think a lot of them just don't know how to kind of, kind of manage that money. You know what I'm saying? It's it, you know, it's <laughs> tough in this business because they get so much money coming in at times. And yeah. you know, you kind of feel like you were when you're a little kid and you got your allowance. <laughs> right, exactly. Yep, yep. Well, you know what, Patty? Let's jump in and let's do this uh, visa settlement. I know you've got an insider's report that we're going to do some back and forth on it. So let's jump in and talk about it. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983 always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. You know, we live in an age where conveniences count for a lot in the lives of most people. And increasingly, we've grown accustomed to paying for those conveniences. 25 years ago, when ATM surcharging began, I was aghast. No one, least of all me, was going to be willing to pay 50 cents to a dollar <laughs> to access cash they had on deposit at, at the banks, right? right? Of course. That'd be crazy. <laughs> Man, was I wrong. <laughs> you know, just the other day, I paid $2.97 to withdraw cash from an ATM. I love how they did it as two ninety seven, not three dollars. Right? right, of course, yeah, mental game there. But I, you know, I did the calculation, and the nearest uh, surcharge free ATM was about twelve miles away. Right, had to, would have had to get in the car again, right. drive, gas time, gas time. I'm sorry, but my twenty minutes is worth more than two dollars and ninety seven cents. Exactly. So you know, but the truth is that you know, I like many people have grown accustomed over the years to paying convenience fees. Sure. I readily pay for the convenience of having food delivered, pre-selecting my airline seats, and purchasing uh, concert and theater tickets from the convenience of my laptop or mobile device. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure I'm not alone. Um, now it's beginning to look like paying for convenience for the convenience of using a credit card at the point of purchase will be the next, next big thing. 
After all, a credit card surcharge or discount for cash is really about paying for convenience. Right. Absolutely. You know, for years, merchants were prohibited by the card brands from surcharging credit card purchases. Early on, the rationale was that surcharging would dissuade consumers from using the fledgling card networks. But as consumer adoption and merchant acceptance of cards grew, that rationale began to fade. Yeah. Confronted by this changing market reality and legal challenges to interchange and brand rules, MasterCard and Visa dropped their surcharge prohibitions in 2013. Yeah. Now, today, merchants are still prohibited from um, surcharging credit cards under the laws of 10 states, Mm -hmm. including some of the most populous, California, New York, and Texas among them. Right. Uh, and debit card surcharging continues to be banned by the card brands as well as under federal law, uh, the Durban Amendment. Right. Uh, several of the state prohibitions, however, are being challenged in federal courts, and many legal experts have said it's only a matter of time before they get struck down. And so while Visa and MasterCard and Discover 2 um, no longer ban credit card surcharging, they still impose strict requirements on surcharging programs. Right. You know, I think we've talked about this in the past, about how merchants have to register with the brands through their acquirers right. at least 30 days before the startup of a surcharging program. Yep. And they have to make specific, you know, word-specific uh, disclosure requirements in right. their signage and on the receipts. Yep. And the surcharges are capped by all three of the brands at 4% of the ticket or the actual actual merchant fee, whichever is less. Right. Now, of course, necessity is the mother of invention, we know, and merchants working with trailblazing ISOs and and MLSs have come up with a workaround, that being cash discounting. Right. Now, the appeal to merchants of cash discounting is at least threefold in my mind. There are no limits on the markups applied to goods and services as long as the cash discount given mirrors those markups. Right. There are no card brand hoops to jump through regarding registration, disclosures, and so forth, at least not yet. Mm-hmm. And perhaps most importantly, it provides merchants a means of recouping much of the cost of card acceptance, which has long been a thorn in their sides. Yep. While the emphasis is on discounting cash pur- purchases, you know, the net effect is that these program of these programs is the same. Uh, customers who want the convenience of using their credit or debit cards for purchases are paying more. Call it a dis- cash discount, call it a surcharge, or simply call it a convenience fee. Eventually, it may may, may may make no difference at all to the end user. Right, right. You know, most consumers understand that businesses pay to accept credit cards and debit cards, and they're willing to take on at least some of that cost. And with the courts coming down on the side of surcharging, it's only a matter of time before one or both become as common as ATM surcharges are today. Yeah. You know, I thought I, this would be a good opportunity actually to float an uh, interesting idea. I had a conversation with uh, several uh, people in the industry about, um, and, and I'll be ostracized for this one in terms of the uh, level of profitability it would create from uh, surcharging. But, you know, one thought I, I was thinking about of, you know, what really is reasonable? You know, what should a consumer have to pay for? Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I, I actually really believe in is that, you know, I don't believe that, um, you know, the whole zero processing or the idea that the merchant should pay nothing to be able right. to accept credit 
credit card. You know, merchants do receive value from electronic payment they networks. In, they get increased sales. Right? Yeah. Increased yeah. sales, higher, you know, per ticket, all that. Right. So, you know, one thought we had that was kind of interesting, you know, wouldn't it be uh, a great idea if Visa, MasterCard, if the card networks, what if they were required to submit the base interchange rate with the authorization code? Uh-huh. And then the... Uh, regulation could be you can surcharge the base interchange rate. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, on the ticket, it wouldn't be 3.5% or whatever. It would just always be, hey, you know, like, so then, uh, you know, a couple things that would do. One is uh, from the consumer's perspective, you're saying this is the cost. Right. Like, I'm literally, like, on your card, this is exactly what it costs. This is, I'm not making any money on this. Then the merchant is still paying their 40 basis points of markup and their $10 monthly statement fee or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They're paying for the privilege of accepting cards. Right. But the consumer is paying for the cost. So it's an idea. I had that idea a while back and I was talking to floating it. And I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things that moving parts would have to happen to make that work. Sure, but, but it's a very interesting concept. You're kind of moving towards that direction of kind of like getting it to a point where, you know, what should consumers really pay? Mm-hmm. I think that's the kind of idea that, you know, everybody involved in the process would have a pretty tough uh, time shooting that idea down. Well, and don't you also think it, it kind of reigns in the, the, the possibility? Because, mm-hmm. you know, conceivably, you could mark those prices up 10, 15 percent. You could. And, and I'll tell you the other thing, you know, there's there's the other side of it, too. There's small ticket coffee shops where their effective rate of, of uh, processing is 6 percent. Right. 7 percent. They should be able to pass through the cost of the interchange. Yeah. No, I think it's a very so, interesting I don't know. idea. Something we were, we were floating. So really interesting. So I guess next we're going to dive into a really interesting conversation, right? Yes. Visa Inc. and MasterCard International are one step closer to ending a years-long legal battle over merchant interchange. The two card brands have agreed to pay $6.2 billion to settle portions of a class action lawsuit originally filed by millions of retailers back in 2005. But retailers may not be buying into it. The National Retail Federation is complaining the proposed new settlement agreement doesn't go far enough. It wants to see reforms in how interchange is set. Terms of the proposed agreement, revealed in a September 17 filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, amends financial terms of a 2012 settlement in the original case, but it doesn't address sought-after changes in network rules. The 2012 settlement, which had been approved by a U.S. District Court judge, was rejected in 2016 by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. The appeals court ruled that merchants in the case had been inadequately represented and sent the case back to the district court for reconsideration. The proposed new settlement still must be approved by the district district court. Visa said in a statement that its share of the proposed settlement total is $4.1 billion, which will be covered by funds previously allocated to settle the case. No additional funds are required for this class settlement, this company stated. Merchants, led by mega retailers like Walmart and merchant trade associations, had claimed in their original lawsuits that MasterCard and Visa, which at the time were owned by banks, were inflating interchange fees in violation of federal antitrust laws. They also challenged several Visa MasterCard rules, including a ban on surcharging and honor-all cards requirements. The original settlement called for a distribution of $7.25 billion to merchants, But thousands of merchants, including Walmart, balked at the settlement, refusing to take their shares and setting the appeals process in motion. After those merchants opted out, the price tag on the settlement shrank significantly to about $5.7 billion, according to published reports at the time. 
In addition to striking down the 2012 settlement, the appeals court split the original case into two separate lawsuits, one focusing on monetary damages related to interchange and the other focused on card brand rules. The proposed settlement revealed in September only addresses the interchange side of the case. Quote, after years of thoughtful negotiation, we're pleased to be able to reach this agreement and move forward in our partnership with merchants to provide consumers convenient, reliable, secure ways to pay, said Kelly Mahan Tulier, Visa Executive Vice President and General Counsel. Quote, this outcome benefits all parties and enables us to focus more of our resources and attention to building the future of digital commerce together. Stephanie Martz, Senior Vice President and General Counsel at the NRF, was less optimistic. Quote, the monetary settlement doesn't solve the problem. Swipe fees, interchange, cost retailers and their customers tens of billions of dollars a year and have been skyrocketing for nearly two decades, Martz complained. Ending ending the practices that led to these anti-competitive fees is the only way to give merchants and consumers full relief once and for all. The proposed new settlement agreement does not address a key concern of merchants who opted out of the original settlement, or does address, excuse me, uh, and that was a lifetime ban on lawsuits related to interchange. Under the new agreement, merchants would face a five-year ban on suing the card companies over interchange. Uh, March said that NRF will closely watch the next phase of the settlement discussions, which uh, she said merchants hope will make significant changes in the way Visa and MasterCard set the complex matrix of interchange rates that merchants pay. You know, the fact that they split the the lawsuit into the two cases. Right. You know, and it's so funny. I don't know. In our industry, I feel like um, there's very little negative said about Visa and MasterCard, really, Mm -hmm. like among ISOs. A lot of times I feel like I'm kind of out on a desert island. Almost like they're afraid to say anything negative about them. I'm not afraid at all to say anything negative about them. I think it's absolutely ridiculous, and um, I think this lawsuit is, is frankly, the, the outcome of this lawsuit is ridiculous because basically what the lawsuit says is that these two companies colluded together in violation of antitrust laws mm-hmm. and caused seven, what is it, six to point two billion or something in damages. Yeah, oh, well, I mean, closer to five billion, really, when you take the two sides. The other two sides, right? Right. So they're saying they caused billions of dollars in damages, and this lawsuit says, and let's not change anything about what you're doing. Right. Now, what's wrong with that picture? It either they caused the damage or they didn't. Well, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of back in the, uh, what was it, in the 70s and the 80s when they broke up AT&T. Right. Right? I mean, yeah, that was a lot of chaos, but right. it, was a, it was a definitive step. Right, right. You know, and, yeah. and admittedly, that was a Justice Department thing, but the Justice right. Department has been, right. on, the, has been on, right. on the card case, too. Sure. And, and to me, too, you know, when you zoom out, and I think a lot of people in the industry look at it and say, yeah, but Visa and MasterCard have done so much for the industry, and I agree with that. Sure, yeah. But at the same time, you have to have a level playing field. And so when you look at the world economy and look at payments in other countries, uh-huh. right, every single other major developed country has regulated. Yes. Now, I don't want the regulation. I'm a free market cap- capitalist. I don't want that because sure. because what happens is they start to regulate Visa MasterCard. Well, then what happens, what next? happens next? They start to regulate ISOs and on down the line. And right. so I'm not a fan of that. But at the same time, you have to look at these other countries where Visa and MasterCard still operate profitably, mm-hmm. where the, the issuing banks still operate profitably. Mm-hmm. 
And what is the interchange there? 0.3%, 0.2%, 0.6%. You know, the the averages by country at Australia, the UK, right. you know, it, it's they're very they're, I mean, orders of magnitude lower. less. And, yeah. and 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 the thing is is what what strikes me about this environment is that because we don't have and it could be it doesn't need to be government regulation it could be self regulation right. of some sort well right of right? course sure but but because we don't have that you have ongoing lawsuits like what was it and, and ongoing little battles between right. major you know what right. was it a year ago or so when. Um, when Walmart stopped taking Visa in its Canadian stores, right, right, right. right a few months ago, Kroger, Kroger sure, stopped taking right. them in some of its California stores. Yep. How can that be conducive for the industry? Right. It's not. And, and you know, I have a story coming out on ccsalesforce.com about um, now Target and some of the other major retailers are coming out and saying one of the reasons they're rejecting the settlement is because of the accept all cards part. Right. And they're saying we don't we want to be able to reject certain rewards cards. Sure. You know? And so I think the problem right now is you have this system where where it's not regulated. Right. But it's not a free market either. No, it's not. Because a free market is where people can say no to something. And right now there's these mega companies that really are colluding together to set interchange. Right. And the people who are involved with setting interchange are not the people who are involved with paying interchange. Exactly. And, and that's and, where you have a and problem. And there's no input at all. And, you know, it's, no, it's not a supply and demand type of thing. Right. right. And, 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 and if nothing else, when, when Visa and MasterCard started um, – you know, adjusting all the interchange right. to reflect these various rewards cards. Right, right. That became, it, it, it suddenly became um, impossible right. for merchants to control their costs. It did. And, yep. and I don't know about you, but I was thinking about this the other day. I have, you know, maybe three credit cards and two debit cards, right? Right, right. They all have rewards. Mm -hmm. I don't know any of the rewards. Right. I mean, and you know what you're getting. I don't even know what I'm getting. Right. I right. mean, except for the few, you know, like Discover that lets me put sure. my money towards my balance. Sure. I think I have another one. All those others, you know, right. about a week ago, I thought, oh, look at this. I'm on the gold rewards thing for my debit card. What does that give me? Right. And so I go in and I look and I went, nothing. Right. right. I yeah. mean, really yeah. nothing. Yeah. And, you know, to me, here, here's my thought. My, you know, because, again, I think when you boil it all down, it's like, OK, so how should it be? Like, what should be different? I really one regulation I could get on board with would be I do believe that just like, you know, um, when you go to buy a car, mm -hmm. there are regulations that say you have to know what the price of the vehicle is. Right. You go to buy a house. Right. When you get a mortgage. You have to you know have what your total payoff amount is. Right. Right. Exactly. I believe that when somebody processes a card at a point of sale, when Visa, when the network sends back the authorization code, I believe they should have to send back the base interchange rate with it. That's an excellent idea. Right? That's an excellent idea. And then I believe merchants should be allowed to do whatever they want with that information. Mm -hmm. You want to accept the card? You want to not accept the card? You want to add a service fee? You want to add a surcharge? You want to do a cash discount? Right. You, sh you know, you want to just eat it. You but, do whatever you want. But at That's least, a free market. Right. And at least there, they know what their cost of doing business is. Right. Right now... A merchant accepts the card, and he has no they idea. Have no idea what that's going to cost until exactly. that bill comes in at the end of the and month. And you know, in a, in a lot of situations, electronic payments, you know, big transactions, their margins may only be five percent. Right. And they have no idea if they're accepting a card that's got a point five percent or, or a three point five. Right. And they have no idea. None. That's just not right. I think that I think there right. there there has to be for for free markets to work. There has to be two things. There has to be transparency of information, mm -hmm. and there has to be freedom to make decisions. Right. 
And, and right now we don't have either. We don't have either. And I and I really do think that the honor all cards rule is sort of the epitome of that. It is, absolutely it is. You know, because yeah. wait a minute. What if I don't want to accept a card that's going to cost me 3.5%? Right. I have to take it anyway because I exactly. take Visa. That just doesn't and, sound And by right. the way, I could get on board with it a lot better if they weren't giving breaks to the big companies. And that's my other point. If Interchange was actually Interchange, I could get on board with it a little easier. I still think it's ridiculous. Right. But I could get on board with it a little better. But the small merchants are paying two, three, four times well, what the larger merchants are paying. You know, isn't that the, the real irony of the situation that the companies like Kroger and Walmart... Right. They're are, the ones raising the fuss. They're the ones raising the fuss, and they're the ones that are paying... The lowest. The lowest. Right. And I think a lot of people in our industry just don't realize that. Yeah. I didn't realize that until two or three years ago where I was like, I thought Interchange was Interchange. Yeah, I... I nope. I, <laughs> when I found that out, I found that out several years ago when a friend of mine had worked with Walmart, and he's like, "Oh, I helped them negotiate that contract." Right. They're, they pay less. They're dealing than, direct, and they're getting yeah. a better deal. So, I, yeah. to me, it's not a free market anymore. Um, I would love to see them get the other, the other lawsuit settled. That's the one that matters. That's to the me. one that really matters. The financial one, whatever. I don't care. And I don't blame the, them for rejecting the merchants for rejecting it. Mm -mm. Um, I don't think it's going to come to fruition. You got to get the other one, which is. Let's let's change these rules to make it more of a free market system. Right, and they say they're working on that, but right. I find that um, I would think it would. They're be, working on delaying it. That's exactly it. To, yeah. to see that settled would be. Yeah. I don't see that being settled no, out of court. That's going to have to be legally, you yeah. know, settled by a judge. Well, we're going to have to keep tabs on this and keep updating everybody on the podcast. Yep, big, big, big development for sure, right? For sure. Awesome. Okay. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the Optimum program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. All right. Thank you so much for joining us for questions from the field. Today, what I'm going to do is something a little different. Okay. Um, Patty and I are going to talk about a question I got from Danny. Uh, and Danny and I had maybe 15, 20-minute conversation this week. We've talked a few times. And Danny's situation is he was selling for a processor successfully mm -hmm. as a W-2 employee. Okay. So he's, you know, uh, has a manager. He has structure. He, all these things, right? Right. So what he did was... IRS he, reporting. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. So what he did was he, he, long story short, sold his house. House. He was moving, and so he sold his house, uh, was able to get kind of a nest egg from that, and then use that to say, okay, now I'm going to go a 1099, and I'm going to uh -huh. start building a business. Okay. Right? Sure. So a couple of interesting things that we had that we that we had talked about. You know, one of the things was, wow, I have all this money. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't really need to work for a while. Yeah. Right? right? Right. And so we talked about that a lot. And, you know, one of the concepts I, I told him is I, I talked about, you know, when you're starting a business and how you have to look at money. There's two different kinds of money. Mm -hmm. There's assets and then there's income. Right. You don't spend assets on expenses. Right. 
And so it's one thing if you have a big portfolio, if you have, you know, 20, 30,000 a month in residual and you're like, I don't want to work for a while. Mm-hmm. More power to you. Have fun. Sure. Go play golf. Yeah. Because you have you got in- income. You have income. That's right. paying your expenses. But when you got, you know, fifty thousand dollar buyout or something, or you know, twenty thousand, whatever it is, you got your buyout. Well, actually the buyout, when you do a you know, every time I've ever done a buyout, I've done uh Four, I think, four uh-huh. buyouts of various sizes. Mm-hmm. Every time I've done a buyout, the next day I'm terrified and I get to work early because not only do I now have this asset that I need to reinvest in my business, but I just hurt my income. Right. Right? So it's right. now actually harder to pay the expenses. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, don't pay expenses with assets. Pay expenses with income. Yes. So yes. it's just one of those kind of core things. And so you've really got to lock that in. The second thing we talked about that was equally interesting was the importance of simple habits and success. Mm-hmm. And the habit that I talked to him about was the habit of walking into 20 to 25 businesses a day where you'd never yet spoken to the business owner. Uh-huh. Now you could convert this to phone sales as well, of course. You know, sure. making sure. you know X number of contacts a day, right. usually twenty contacts a day. I actually call it the twenty twenty rule when I'm talking to reps. I tell them you either got to walk into twenty businesses a day that you've All never 20. been to, or you got to contact twenty over the phone, right. and you're going to get about the same results. But you know, we talked about the importance of these habits, and you know, it's so funny. I don't know about your experience. You know, you've I'm sure talked to so many really successful people. Mm-hmm. Usually, when I talk to somebody really successful, I'm I'm disappointed by their intellect and creativity and imagination. Mm-hmm. And instead, I'm extremely impressed by their discipline right. and their character and their simple habits. Yes, right. simple habits especially. Yeah. That always blows my mind. That some of the most successful people I know Right. And you're like, what made you successful? Well, I walk into 20 businesses a day. I have every day, five days a week for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm making $50,000 a month. Right. Really? Like that's, you know, that's what it is. And, you know, so we were talking about that. And this is one thing where, you know, every time I talk to people about this, I get these blank stares. Like, why are you talking about this? But to me, these simple things really matter. For instance, I used to take 20 business cards. I had a business card holder, small one, a little metal one, you know, mm-hmm. and it would hold about 25 or so. I put 20 business cards in there every day in my pocket. Mm-hmm. I didn't come home until I gave out 20. Right. Sure. People look and say, well, James, that's so elementary. That's so, so simple. No, it's not. <laughs> but it's like the hard part is, yeah, you try to do that for a year. Yeah. You try to walk into 20 different businesses every, every day. day, 100 a week. Yeah. Right. For a year. Yeah. And see how much money you're making in this business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would I would challenge you that if you know how to sell at all, um, you're going to be doing really, really well. I would also apply this to the ISOs. You know, mm-hmm. so many of the ISOs out there, they have no training at all. Some of them will have some training and it's amazing to me how much effort they'll put into recruiting people and not training them. Right. Yes. And then, or even what I'll see too, that's so funny is training them just a little bit, just right. To get them out the door and they'll train them. Some of them, it's like they'll recruit them and they'll be like, no, 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 we train, you know, we have two days training, whatever. Awesome. What habits do you require or at least instruct your salespeople to follow? Mm-hmm. Do they take 20 business cards out in the field every day? Do they have business cards? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think there's some kind of core habits and things that you have to put in place if you really want to be successful selling merchant services. And those habits are, you know, prospecting. It's your effort. you got to put that effort in. And then I think long term, don't spend assets on income. Right. Don't spend assets on expenses, spend income on expenses. So you've got to make money to spend money. And that money that you got, that you get that asset, you should be reinvesting that back in your business, right. investing it in retirement. That's your nest egg. That's your security blanket mm-hmm. uh, when things go bad. But you've got to keep those two separate. Put them in separate bank accounts. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I told Danny. I said, hey, you know what? I said, he's like, well, I need that money. 
Like, you know, I'm not making enough yet from residuals to, you know, and I said, well, number one, I would challenge that and say, go get some upfront bonus money. Like you got to find a way, you got to scrape and you got to find a way to protect that money. But at the very least, once a month, there should be one other person involved. He's married, got a couple uh, kids, whatever. I said, you know, um, what you need to do is make sure that your spouse or significant other, somebody knows, hey, I need to go take some money out of this account and put it over here because I didn't sell enough this month. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I said, you know, every time money comes out of that asset account and goes into your your expense account that's a failure right that's you falling on your face it's not just a oh well today i need a thousand dollars i've got fifty thousand in the account well you won't have it there very long mm-hmm. every month you pull two three grand out guess what fifty thousand dollars can go pretty quickly well it's like you know i i laugh at people who who often consider equity in their homes like a, a an atm machine <laughs> right. right new no. new home equity line right problem oh, solved so, problem solved it's like wait a minute that's like right your, especially for middle class people that's like right. your major asset right why right. would you want to just piddle that all away yeah and but yeah. the same thing i mean i remember you telling me the story about when you sold your first uh, uh, portfolio portfolio yeah and then you took that money and immediately put it into marketing yep you know to build in your yeah, business and, I, and you know i didn't even sell the first portfolio until i had figured out a way that i felt was a consi- you know i knew that i could reinvest the money in a couple things mm-hmm. with facebook ads i was doing and that i was doing telemarketers right from upwork right i remember you saying yeah that. and yeah. so you know I, I figured out hey i can make this work on a small scale so if i had another ten thousand dollars imagine oh. what i could do yeah and i did the math hey it works out i you know and and uh reinvesting it and it's funny even just this last week an example i i uh, actually totaled my car i don't think i told you oh that. no my my red car but anyway i totaled my car I and Hope everybody was oh, I'm okay. fine. Everybody yeah. was fine. Yeah, you know, but um, you know, now it's ridiculous. Cars, you you wreck it a little bit. And it's oh, like you totaled it. And it's like really, right. I bent the fender. But anyway, so I'm like, okay, I got to get a car. And you know, even some of my employees that I talk to, you know, oh, what are you? Are you going to get a Mercedes? Are you going to get a BMW? Like, yeah, right. What are you going to get? And I said, you know, I'm not going to get that yet because I'm not ready to write a check for forty, fifty thousand dollars for a vehicle. Mm-hmm. I went out and bought a, I think it was an eight thousand dollar car. Right. And you know, you know how I paid for it? Cash. Yes. yes. I paid for it. Yes. I have a really nice vehicle that I got for my wife. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a nice family vehicle that I got for her. For her really and the nice. kids, sure. Guess how I paid for that with cash because you protect the asset. Yeah. You don't spend the asset on expenses. You protect that and then you use that so that you don't have to go into all this, you know, debt and all this crazy just leverage and stress and everything. So just some tips for some of you out there that are in sales that are about to make a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Go make money. Make money first, then then make your decisions. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. That was Questions from the Fuel. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.